0: Welcome to the Life Self Mastery podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery and I'm excited to have Johnny Miller, who's the founder of Nervous System Mastery, a course that has helped hundreds of founders and tech leaders cultivate calm, reduce nervousness, enhance resilience and elevate their sense of aliveness welcome to show johnny it's great to be here awesome so you know um you you have an interesting journey you did start up uh, with you know getting into startups and you started at durham how, how was the experience you know at university in durham it's one of the best B schools in the uk and you know how did that lead to starting with Naptea?
1: mm so i um i studied philosophy and economics at durham which was pretty useless when it came to kind of having a career. And uh, I remember doing an internship in London um, for a consulting company and just thinking, like, I do not want to do this. It just didn't feel interesting in any way to me. So uh, my two good friends and I started a travel magazine when we were at university. It's called Rome, Rome Magazine. And as we were graduating, we heard about this program called Startup Chile, which still exists as, as far as I'm aware. And it's a... A government run incubator, which awards, at least it did award 40,000 us dollars to foreign entrepreneurs to fly to Santiago and start a business. So we applied, we knew very little about startups. My, my co-founder Dean thought startups were something to do with engines. Like we literally had no idea what we were doing and, uh, we flew to Santiago and that was like our kind of initiation into the entrepreneurial world. Uh, And from there, we we quickly ran out of money, and then we applied for TechStars in Seattle. We got accepted into TechStars and got more investment, and that was the that was the kind of humble beginnings of uh, our startup, MapTier.
0: Okay, okay, and what was the final outcome to the to the startup? Were you able to successfully sell it, or how did
1: it pan out for you? I I wish that were the case. It panned out with me burning out. (laughs) uh, uh, Yeah, it was, it it was a media based business. And uh, at the time, I think it still is. It was very challenging to make sustainable revenue from that. Um, But I learned a hell of a lot and we were connected with some amazing people. So I don't regret the experience, but uh, it ended up with, with me leaving. And then eventually the company kind of um, wound down a couple of years later.
0: Okay. Okay. And uh, interestingly, you you talked about you know startup Chile. I got a couple of founders who who've been on that uh, on that journey where uh, you know yeah they had you had to go there for a year and then uh, you get a bit of funding. You you know would you still give the advice to uh, to a younger journey to go abroad and uh, and do the startup life or would you? would you suggest somebody to, you know, work in a, in a big consulting company or a, a big company, work for mm-hmm. a couple of years and then do a startup?
1: Yeah, I mean, in terms of giving advice to a younger version of myself, that's always tricky because I really like how things turned out, so I wouldn't want to change anything. But if I was giving advice to, let's say, listeners, um, I do think there is a case for spending a couple of years in a kind of bigger company, in a consulting context to kind of build up the skills, network, Um, I think that's, that can work. And, you know, for people like myself, I, I think I just would have struggled in that environment. And so for me, it was the right step to, to go straight into the startup world. And that was a very, very intensive, like learning environment. And I think, you know, when you're in your twenties, really focusing on optimizing for learning, I, I feel like is, is, is the way to go. So whatever route feels like the fastest path to learn as much as possible and experiment and try different contexts try different different areas um yeah that's that's my sense and it's you know it's very context dependent as well
0: got it, got it. interesting and and you know what 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 led you into starting you know curious humans and you know building nervous system mastery um what ignited you to start started
1: yeah so i um when i left the that startup, I kind of went through a period of being a little bit lost and kind of wondering, not really knowing what on earth to do. I ended up being invited in to mentor and then teach a startup curriculum in London, which I I really enjoyed. And in that, I, I kind of like reconnected with my sense of just like, like love of learning and love of curiosity specifically. And, uh, I was, I listened to a lot of podcasts and I was like, oh, this seems like a great way to meet interesting people, as I'm sure you can relate to, um, to have interesting conversations, to improve my skills at asking good questions, which feels essential. Um, that also turned into a newsletter. And then a few years after that, I, I went through a fairly intense grief journey myself. Um, I, I kind of lost my former fiance at the time and during that journey. I learned skills, uh, particularly for kind of feeling my emotions, um, which I realized would have been very helpful when I'd been a startup founder. So I ended up doing these workshops that I called emotional resilience and teaching breathing practices, meditation practices, um, mindset practices, and initially coaching with startup founders and then you know doing workshops. And that then led to this idea of like, oh, I think there's a... There's a body of work here that's emerging. I, I wonder if I could create a, a five week course. And so that's what I put together in 2021. Just kind of did like a, a beta pilot version for about 60 people. And the feedback from that was, was fantastic. And so it just, it just really kept on growing from there. Um, and last year we had, uh, 600 students go through the program. So it grew a lot in the space of a year. Um, and it seems to, seems to both be really resonating and I really enjoy learning, writing, teaching and, and improving as well. So, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been fun.
0: Uh, interesting, um, you, you know, because you, you, you lived in Bali and Mexico, uh, how Bali as a startup culture, uh, ecosystem, I know Peter levels, um, from the nomad list, yeah, I think he also lives there, uh, how did you find it, uh, a, a totally different experience on how the western startup startup world works uh, any any insights about bali mm-hmm. uh, culture
1: yeah so i i so i lived there for 3 years and then the year during covid as well so i spent a good amount of time there um yeah. i'd say it's for me it was fantastic for having a kind of like healthy balance like i'd go surfing every day i did a yoga teacher training It's obviously a beautiful, beautiful place, beautiful culture. Um, the, the, the was a startup culture there. I'd say it was at the time this may have changed, but it was mostly freelancers, indie hackers, people like that, and less, less like venture funded startups. Um, you know, certainly a a handful, but the, the people that I mostly connected with were more in that kind of like freelancer bootstrapper kind of phase.
0: Correct, correct, it, got it, right. Um, so, so you know, Johnny, I've I've had a lot of sales, business development, uh, and partnership experience. Obviously, you you meeting a lot of people, but are you are also pitching to a lot of uh, a lot of people and could be high pressure moments. You know, especially when you're trying to sell into enterprise uh, mm-hmm. sales. So you know, I do get uh nervous at times. You know, so what advice would you give to somebody who's been to sales and you know high pressure situations to elevate? uh nervousness and how do i look at you know um uh, getting myself into a more calmer situation so that i can um get you know look at uh being calm and, and being more composed during those meetings
1: mm. yeah i love that just out of interest what what are the what's it like for you when you get nervous let's say just before an important sales meeting like what's your experience
0: yeah so um I I I do do a bit of a be- breathing exercise before I get into a meeting, or mm-hmm. or, or go for a walk, so that I can I have that energy because sometimes mm-hmm. you know you don't want to show off less energy when you get into those sort of meetings. But you know if it's a it's a big meeting, it's on my mind that you know I don't want to sc- screw it up. Uh, but but there is a moment of tension. And uh, you know, I need to prepare a lot before these meetings. If I'm not well prepared, you know, it 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 sometimes gets into my psyche that maybe I'm not ready for this those those sort of meetings. Um, so so yeah, I mean, any any advice or tips for for sales guys or revenue, you know, uh, of people who would want to uh, get better and in, uh, in preparing for those meetings.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I mean, I still get nervous sometimes before big podcast interviews as well like like the the one with Lenny recently before that I was like I'm pretty nervous right now (laughs) um so one of the distinctions that I like to share which I think is very helpful is this idea between top down versus bottom up approaches right so what that means is top down is generally mind-based or cognitive-based exercises or reframes which help you to kind of um, let's say like maybe reframe, like I'm not feeling nervousness, it's it's excitement, like I'm feeling excitement and you know, that can, that type of thing, or, or like, I'm nervous because I care so much about this. And so it's, it's like a positive reframe to, to make it a good thing. And those can certainly be helpful. Um, what I found, and this is somewhat backed up by the neurobiology as well, is that bottom up practices, which involve using the body to change the state of your nervous system, which then impacts the thoughts and feelings that you're having. So a typical example would be doing a breathing practice where the exhale is twice as long as the inhale. So that might be inhale for a count of four, hold for a count of four, exhale for a count of eight, for example. Um, and that will very quickly activate the parasympathetic nervous system and really help to kind of ground some of that nervous energy that you might be experiencing. So you can stack many of these different bottom-up practices. Another one that is popular with my students is, is vu hum, where you take a full breath in and you make the sound vu and then hum all the way to the end of exhale, and that it has a number of effects, like releasing nitric oxide in the system, which uh, is also a vasodilator, which helps with the downshifting. It's also a long exhale. Um, there's also things like, uh, you can kind of play with your awareness. So bring your awareness to your, your hands and your feet or expanding your awareness, this is a technique from, from the, the Alexander technique. So kind of being aware of the space behind you to the sides of you, above you, below you often, when we get nervous, our kind of field of awareness gets very narrow and contracts and that increases the sense of, of like anxiousness and so by relaxing and expanding that there's more a sense of sense of spaciousness and ease um, which can be helpful but i i'd say most of all it's a it's a process of listening to your body and then experimenting and trying different things and seeing what works for you and, and really developing particularly you know if you have high stakes sales calls on a regular basis maybe you, you create like a little ritual or a little routine of yourself before these sessions so maybe it's like you go for a walk you do a little bit of stretching you think about what's going to happen visualize it and then before you go in you do five minutes of breathing and humming and then when you actually get on your that energy is there but it's very much grounded
0: right and yeah you know you made an interesting point about visualization uh, how 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 should you know somebody look at visualizing and how how should they look at visualizing like like a sales meeting uh, is it, more, you know, there's a lot of talk about affirmations and visualization doesn't really work, um, uh, you know, because uh, my, my wife really believes into affirmations. and I'm mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, it's more about, you know, executing, but but what mm-hmm. are your thoughts on that, you know, how can somebody visualize to do something correctly or achieve your goals?
1: Yeah, so I am, um, like what I actually practice is I I research a lot, you know, let's say if I'm going to interview someone, I'll read, you know, read their book, write some notes down. And then in the kind of hour or two before, I will deliberately like let all of that go. I actually won't think about what I'm going to say. And I found that when I do that, and, and the move here, I think is actually really, it comes back to like trusting myself and allowing myself to be more present and more in the moment so I can respond to what I'm noticing. So wh- whereas if I am say attached to like a certain script or a certain like thing that I'm going to say, it actually creates a rigidity, which both decreases connection. And it also means that I'm less likely to respond to whatever the person is, is saying or, or showing. So there is, I do find this, this interesting dance between maybe there's a, a visualization of like, these are kind of the main. the the arc of the conversation or the arc of the sales call and there's this like almost like a paradox where then you kind of let it go and you just trust yourself to say and do the right things and some that is to some degree a function of experience as well in the beginning having more structure as almost like a guardrail is helpful um but that's that's what i find and and certainly the conversations you know if i'm being if I'm receiving a sales call, I'm much more likely to engage with someone that feels like they're really listening and they're really present, and they're not like 50% of their mind isn't like tracking a script that they're going through.
0: Yeah, yeah, got it. And and what do you think about you know meditation or vipassana or yoga? Uh, mm-hmm. Do you think these these really help? Uh, and what's the right way about you know using these to uh, to reduce stress?
1: Mm, great question um what's your experience with them just before i answer
0: um uh, to be honest you know i haven't done vipassana I, i've heard a lot of my indian friends doing vipassana uh, i think when it comes to meditation i i do use calm where you know I, I do before a call or early in the morning i do it for three to five minutes it does help me but maybe i'm not very consistent about it and maybe, you know, I would want to look at these uh, you know, especially meditation yoga to to calm myself, but I i just really don't know how uh, you know, beneficial it's gonna be because I don't want to spend an hour just doing vipassana or yoga for that matter.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I um I'm just thinking of the conversation with Lenny where he has like the contrarian corner. And I, I have some like contrarian opinions about meditation. Yeah. Um I I love meditation. I've spent, you know, probably hundreds, maybe even thousands of hours meditating myself. Yeah. Um, but if your goal is to reduce stress and to calm down, I don't think that meditation is is the best approach. Okay. Um, it tends to be, and there've even been some studies to show this that meditation can even be, you know, destabilizing. And and if you kind of go back to like the original purpose or how many of these meditations were constructed mostly in, in the east you know in the culture that you're from it was more oriented to destabilize the sense of self and kind of see through to the true nature of reality like that is essentially what these meditations are designed to do so if that is your goal if your goal is to kind of see through the illusion of the self great <laughs> like that is like you should do that you should go train in, train in zen um whichever or vajrayana buddhism like whatever lineage appeals to you however if your goal is to become more calm so you can be you know more effective at sales then i then i would i would focus on breathing practices i would focus on bottom-up modalities to actually calm down the nervous system um because that's kind of what they're designed for so that's that's kind of my my sense it really depends on what someone's goal is there's also meditations like meta for cultivating loving kindness, which is a beautiful thing to practice. And maybe that increases your, your sense of, of empathy and connection to other people, in which case that's, that's great. Um, but yeah, the, the, way that meditation and mindfulness is typically marketed to a lot of people in the West is, as this tool to calm down. And I, I don't think it's a, especially effective for that, um, and be there's just much more effective ways of doing it. And Sorry. one more thing I'd, I'd maybe add to that. Um, you mentioned Vipassana, which is the technique itself is to kind of scan the awareness through the body, um, different points, like over and over again. And that is fantastic for building what's known as interoception, which is this, your kind of somatic bodily awareness, which is, is a really helpful thing to cultivate, and there's a lot of benefits, including things like better decision-making, um, you're more attuned to when you're reacting to something, your your intuition's heightened. So for the purpose of cultivating interceptive awareness, the Vipassana technique can be helpful. But again, I, I don't think that's why most people would, would practice it. And the one more thing I'll add, like if you're someone who is working very intensely, just the process of taking 10 days off and kind of resetting your dopamine system and not looking at a phone or technology for 10 days, that will be helpful like that will be healthy <laughs> so yeah. uh, if, if again if that's your aim to kind of disconnect and like reset the the neural pathways then also great thing to do
0: very interesting you, you mentioned about uh interoception is it about shifting the focus from from your mind to the body is that what is that mm. what, what is meant by it?
1: yes so it's not necessarily in the beginning that's often what happens but over the long run, the idea is that all throughout the day you are aware of what is happening in your body. You're aware of when you're hungry. You're aware of when you're tired. You're aware of if there's like a tightness in your chest that's maybe related to a frustration that happened in a conversation earlier. Or you're basically aware of the uh, enormous amount of feedback that is always coming from our body to our brains, and that is often ignored by by many many people.
0: Hmm. And, um, you know, what I've realized over the last year or so is like, uh, uh, how do I look at technology detox, you know, I have, uh, uh, you know, try to reduce my my phone usage a lot. But mm. is, is it the right way to, you know, go for a 10 day Vipassana retreat, and just stay away from technology? um or you know not to use it over the week. And what's been the you know advice you would give to others when it comes to you know just removing technology from your from your day-to-day life
1: mm-hmm. so i mean a, a vipassana or 10-day meditation retreat is certainly one way to do it and right. i think it's it's actually helpful because you get to see especially in the first couple of days like how you respond to not having that constant stimulus and input from other people or or social media. So even just as an exercise of self-awareness, it's very helpful. And there's some, I think there is some reset of like the dopamine baseline gets reset. So when you come back out, there's a chance to kind of carve new neural pathways afterwards. So that's definitely one approach and I appreciate it might not be accessible for a lot of people out there. So, um, the other thing that is, Kind of tying it back to interoception is is like noticing how you feel as you're using the phone and and specifically when you reach for the phone like very often the phone becomes a form of a, a way of numbing or distracting from something uncomfortable so let's say if you're procrastinating from doing a thing or you you don't want to have a challenging conversation with your spouse and so instead you reach for twitter and you just scroll which you know i've, I've done <laughs> everyone's done it yeah. but it's like it's really noticing like what is the reason that i'm reaching for this and am i avoiding something internally um versus am i just like genuinely curious to see what my friends are up to on whatsapp or whatever it is so it's really about getting clear on like what is your intention in the moment that you reach for the phone, and then also, how do you feel as you're using it? Like, there's certain times when I'll, I might like read a beautiful message from someone, and I'll be like, "Wow, like I'm really glad that I did that. That felt like like time well spent." Versus times when you know you just get in like a a doom scrolling thing, and that doesn't usually feel good afterwards. It doesn't feel like a, like a good use of of that time.
0: Yeah, and you know. What I've realized is like the, the couple of apps which I would use and, and which would uh, which would make me you know endlessly scroll it. Like I used to do that on Instagram. Now I've removed the app. Now I've got YouTube Shorts. So that's uh, so it has replaced my uh, uh, you know the uh, I, I I get that dopamine effect when I look at YouTube Shorts now. Do you think the right way would be to to remove all the apps from the phone, and or maybe look at another phone which would have no apps? You know, because um, uh, I find it really difficult to uh, to you know keep removing apps, but then then get addicted to apps like like on Twitter or LinkedIn. It's just such a bad habit. But how do I you know get away from it?
1: Yeah. Well, again, um, I think this kind of comes back to like what, what is the reason for distracting yourself in the beginning? Um, and, and, and kind of for sure there's a role for setting boundaries. And I think, you know, removing social media apps from phones, things like that is, is just a general best practice because these, these tools are inherently addictive. And there's also something in us, which is able to be hooked by, by these things as well. So it's kind of like, it's like a I guess there's almost like an external approach and an internal approach. The external approach is, as as you say, kind of um, being aware that some of these apps are inherently designed to be addictive. And so being very judicious about which ones you allow on your phone, particularly on, on your home screen. Yeah. Um, and then also, like, exploring your relationship to dopamine and your relationship to um, what are some of the ways that often people use phones as a ways to kind of down-regulate or to kind of, or to kind of disconnect. And so instead of say, let's say it's like 6 PM and you've had a long day, instead of picking up the phone and attempting to down-regulate through scrolling YouTube shorts, um, maybe it's like you replace that kind of transition habit with something like going for a walk or calling a loved one or, or stretching breath work um drinking a cup of tea, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh like intentionally designing, particularly those transition rituals, I think can be really helpful. And and noticing, you know, if if your body is overstimulated, which is very easy to do, you know, after a day of work or after a day of sales, then what are the ways in which you can downregulate effectively and healthily? So I love things like non-sleep, deep rest, NSDR, um things like going for a walk going for a run playing is great um yeah so i think it if i was to sum it up it's it's like intentionality with internal and external
0: got it yeah no absolutely i think i think walking really really does help me and uh, you mentioned about nsdr what, what what is it nsdr is it about uh taking rest
1: nsdr stands for non-sleep deep rest It is, um, a kind of category of different practices derived from yoga nidra. Um, it's essentially between 10 to 45 minutes of guided audio where you lie down, put on an eye mask and you listen to someone guide you through relaxation exercises, which include actually scanning the body and bringing the awareness to different parts of the body and then breathing into them or relaxing into them.
0: Okay. Okay. it's
1: extremely effective and, uh, yeah, highly recommend it.
0: Okay, okay. And is it about listening to music or Brain.fm calm or
1: to to
0: stimulate yourself to to take more rest? Is that what is the intention behind it?
1: Um, there's certainly relaxing music with some of the audio, but it's more about the the way in which you move your attention around your body, which creates the effect of relaxation.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay. Got it. And uh, you know, w- when it comes to, you know, daily work, you know, there the lot of emotions that you go through. Sometimes you, you, you angry or or in a such an in a stressful situation, especially when it comes to tech startups, um, mm-hmm. and especially you know, what has happened in the last two years. There have been a lot of layoffs. There have been the I mean, especially as a was a difficult year. Mm-hmm. Um, should you look at, you know, feeling all your emotions deeply, or should you look at you know, especially when you're in a professional setup, you gotta be professional. But how do you, you know, let out all the emotions so that mm. you don't hamper your you know personal life?
1: That is a big question. Yeah. Um again, I'm curious, like like what's your what's your sense for that? Like how do you approach that?
0: Yeah, I I uh, to to be honest, you know, especially when it comes to such stressful situations, I the older I get, I think I've been able to manage my emotions more effectively. Uh, I wish I could have said the same thing when I was uh, younger. I I, mean, I wish I had not been that emotional, but uh, yeah, but I, I think the last couple of years I've been able to manage my emotions uh, more effectively, and I, I think I've calmed down a lot. Maybe that happens when you get older, but uh, but something what which, which has happened last year has uh, you know not happened in the last yeah I think 14, 15 years because. They didn't have a, you know, recession in the last 14, 15 years. But especially for the younger listeners, you know, who are seeing the recession for the first time or seeing that sort of a depression for the first time, you know, there mm-hmm. would have been a lot of job losses or they've, they would not have uh, understood, you know, how to, how to go through this phase. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what advice would you give to them on, because there's still a series of layoffs which are happening and a lot mm-hmm. of difficult situations are happening. Um, how do you, how do you look at, you know, handling that, that sort of situation and and how how should we process such sort of hard emotions
1: Mm, yeah it's a great question it's a big question yeah um and yeah i also just want to like acknowledge that it's a really tough time for a lot of people out there and that it's it can be super super challenging um so the, the way that i think about this i have i have this phrase emotional debt which i think is very helpful Um, And it it has an analogy to technical debt, which many of your listeners might be familiar with. You know, when you're in the early stages of a a startup or you're building a tech product, it's often common to accumulate technical debt in the early stages because you're kind of moving fast and you don't want to build something super thoroughly. So the same is true with our emotions in that if you are, let's say you're like in a boardroom meeting, someone says something which you get really angry and frustrated by it's it's very likely not productive for you to then express that anger in the moment because it just doesn't doesn't end well and so being able to kind of have capacity to take on that emotional debt deliberately almost like like kind of repress it basically for the short term is super helpful and if that happens over and over again and you don't have a healthy outlet to to kind of feel through and express that emotion it builds up as emotional debt, which then creates fragility in the nervous system. It makes us more susceptible to burnout. It means we'll often, you know, vent on our loved ones. It it, it also doesn't end well. So, um, this is kind of a, a core part of what I teach is this idea of emotional fluidity and creating really safe situations or places where these emotions can come through, um, you know, this can be in the context of for some people it might be they're working with a somatic therapist um or, or they're part of a men's group you know things like this where there's explicit permission um if you don't have that then let's say using anger as an example um maybe it's like going out like when you're in your, in your car driving on the highway just like feeling the anger and just like expressing it like maybe shouting or saying the things that you wish you'd said um sometimes like at home in, in your bedroom, like lock the doors, hitting a pillow, just like letting it out and really not only letting it out, but like really feeling the sensations associated. And if you do it, uh, like, like if you do it in a certain way, there will usually be a sense of like relief on the other side. There'll be like a, oh, there's like a sigh and an exhale and you feel, you'll feel lighter basically. Um, and so I think it's really important with, with really all emotions that they are, that they have permission, both internally and externally, to be expressed, and yeah, that's that's. There's a, most workplaces that won't be the case, so it's important to create spaces at home or elsewhere where these emotions can be really kind of felt through, so they don't get kinked and basically accumulate that emotional debt, which leads to to burnout. Which you know we've obviously been seeing in the culture the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think. Uh, i think with men you know they they always taught not to not to cry not to show emotions uh, but but you got yeah. to you know let out those emotions mm-hmm. um, uh, because you you actually human and also with men i think um, they struggle more than women because um, you know um, they, they don't share uh, like like women love to you know communicate or share uh, with, with, with mm-hmm. their friends um mm-hmm. and i think i think this is this is extremely important uh, going mm-hmm. forward. And, uh, and you mentioned about the nervous system ma- mastery you know, bootcamp. So, so how does that work, you know, and how did you go about, you know, building this course?
1: Yeah. So, um, the way that it works, it, it's a five-week curriculum and the three kind of core skills that we, that we teach, are we've actually mentioned them all in this call, interception. So building that kind of somatic awareness, self-regulation practices. So breath work for, up-regulating or down-regulating the nervous system, so either increasing alertness and aliveness or creating calm, relaxation, um, down-regulation at the end of the day. And then emotional fluidity, which we've just been talking about, which is how do we, almost like often it is relearning and giving ourselves permission to feel these things, which we, uh, the, whether through our school culture or the way we were raised, we just like were taught to kind of push these down. Um, so there's almost like an unlearning that has to happen there. Um, and the course is, it's also you a know, part of a community. There's usually about 300 people per cohort. So there's kind of a big group of people going through the same journey. We do like an, an edge challenge where, um, you're invited to kind of do something that is uncomfortable that you've maybe been putting off and then. Use all of the practices that we learn along the way to kind of help out with that, with that edge challenge. Um, And yeah, it's, it's, uh, the course has been so much fun to do. We're going into the fifth cohort this spring. Um, so it's still, you know, it's still developing and learning. We're creating a new format called uh, nervous system CrossFit, which is basically a kind of like training arena to practice these tools with other people in, in real time and like, obviously improve them. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoy it. And the alumni students seem to get a huge amount of value from it um and it's it's fun
0: <laughs> nice interesting and uh, yeah you know you you're on your fifth goal what, what's been the best way to you know get uh get the word out have you used you know any sort of paid or it's been mostly word of mouth for you
1: yeah it's been mostly um some my newsletter word of mouth uh, guest podcasts you know like this yeah. like like lenny um mm-hmm. and uh friends' newsletters and also sponsoring some newsletters as well has been helpful. Uh, we're just starting to try some Facebook and Instagram ads. Um, the verdict is, uh, yeah, not yet clear if that's going to be an effective channel, but we'll see.
0: Okay, okay. And and is it mostly online or, or do you also have like, uh, you know, offline meetups?
1: It's mostly, it's mostly online. We do have some meetups for the students but in cities where there's a critical mass. And I also do some in-person breath work for people here in in, in Colorado.
0: Okay, okay, got it. Um, uh, you you know, last year has been has been interesting. I've been following a couple of. Uh, I actually got into Twitter and been following people like you know Dickie Bush, uh, Dango, mm-hmm. um, who who wake up really early. I think. Uh, the the most impactful thing I did is I started sleeping on time, and I started waking up really early but well, what are what are the, uh, the most recommended you know practices for for maintaining and managing stress in your view uh, what recommendation would you give to people uh, in, in your morning or evening routine so that you know you, you are able to manage your emotions
1: mm. yeah well I, I i really would say that it comes back to interoception is is really foundational because if you're not aware of How environments or people or things impact your system you're going to be unable to make changes or run effective experiments so it's almost like it's like you're like calibrating your kind of never framed it like this before but you're like you're calibrating your kind of measuring device which is yourself and Mm. then making changes to your environment to, you know, the people that you spend time with to let's say your morning routine, viewing sunlight in the morning, not looking at screens in the evening, you know, all these things will shift how you feel, but if you're not actually aware of how they impact you, you're not going to make changes where it's, it's very motivating. If say, say you are in tune with how you're feeling and you do a breathwork practice and then five minutes later, you're like, oh, I feel really relaxed. You're going to do that more. It's not going to be something that you have to force yourself to do. You'll just naturally decide to do it because it feels good. Um, but yeah, besides that, I mean, I'm a big fan of, of, um, contrast therapy. So sauna and an ice bath I do most days myself. Um, as, as Huberman has been saying on the internet, getting sunlight in the morning is, is very helpful for the circadian rhythm, having a consistent sleep, wake time, not looking at any screens, you know, ideally after sunset if possible and having low, low lighting, um, you know, things, things like that are kind of a restful sleep environment, darkness at night, I think, you know, there's, there's a whole, there's a whole list of things and you can just subscribe to Huberman's podcast to get, <laughs> to get a good list of them. But I'd say, I'd say really focusing on the interceptive piece and then noticing how some of trying some of these bottom up protocols and see how they affect you.
0: Got it. Interesting. And, uh, I, and I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book?
1: Yeah, so I the one that I just saw on my bookshelf is called "The Fifteen Commitments of Conscious Leadership" by Jim Dethmer, and uh yeah, it's it's a, just a very good guide for anyone that wants to be a better leader and honestly a better human. Um, it's one of my favorites.
0: Got it, got it. We'll we'll put that in our show notes. And um you know, it, if you could go back in time when you started working uh, on nervous system mastery, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done thing differently?
1: yeah i i struggle with this one um i would say probably yeah i'd say probably learn to ask for help earlier and get more support early on i i spent a lot of time doing everything myself and uh it was maybe essential in the beginning but um it was certainly very inefficient and so i'm learning to kind of ask for both informal and formal help and support so that i can continue growing.
0: Got it. and And do you have your favorite online tools, for example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom?
1: Yeah, I, um, well, I, I use a Mac and I love Alfred. It's kind of like, uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's basically I press command space and it gives me access to all kinds of shortcuts, snippets, I use it for everything. I say Alfred's been the best tool purchase in recent memory. Uh,
0: interesting. We'll put that in the show notes and um, Johnny, what are the ways people can reach out to you and know more about uh, nervous system mastery?
1: Yeah. So I'm very active on Twitter slash X. Uh, my handle is Johnny Miller, J O N N Y M one L L E R. I'm happy to respond to any questions, curiosities there and nervous system mastery, if people are interested is nsmastery.com. applications should be open. Now it will be open until March the 15th. And uh, yeah, if this conversation resonated, would I uh, would love to have you join us.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Put that in our show notes. Sure. And uh, John, thank you
1: so much for taking your time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Likewise, yeah, thank you so much. This is super fun.
0: Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.